all who are led by the Spirit of God or children of God. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Four weeks ago, Gail and I flew into Berlin. It was our third visit to this historic city. The first time we were there was in 1988. We went into the city in a bus through the divided country into a divided city. The wall was still there. The second time, Gail and I went to Berlin by train from Warsaw. Uh, we had just had a really difficult few days visiting Auschwitz, Birkenau, and Majdanek. This time we flew into the city. It is really a magnificent city. Uh, two of my professors at Centenary College had been professors at the University of Berlin in 1934, both husband and wife. When Adolf Hitler came to power and the Nazis took over, all Jewish professors were denied jobs at the university. Uh, the Strausses were told if they would go home and be quiet, they would be sent a meager stipend that would uh, help them buy food. In no time at all, they saw Jews beginning to disappear. They were there in the horrible Kristallnacht when Jewish synagogues were burned to the ground and Jewish businesses were destroyed. They knew things were getting worse and worse. They had to get out. They spent everything they had being smuggled across Belgium with their one young son, all the way to England, eventually by ship to New Orleans, Louisiana, by train up to Shreveport, uh, and beginning there a new life, professors at our Centenary College, our Methodist College in Shreveport. Um, each time I've been, I kept thinking about all these things he had taught me. I had German with him. He said, for example, when you get to Germany, and you must go to Germany, he said, it's a wonderful country. There are wonderful people there. They will be reunited someday, he said. They are a strong people. They will reunite their city and they will reunite their country. And you must go. You must walk through the Brandenburg Gate and down Unter den Linden to see the beautiful trees. You must eat strawberries, he said. Erdbeer, the greatest in the world, he said, strawberries. The Germans know how to do strawberries. He also had said, when you use the verb for help, you must remember that this is an unusual verb in German. It does not require the accusative case for direct objects, but rather the dative case. And if you use the accusative case, they will not help you, he said. So one afternoon, I asked a police officer if he would help me. Bitte, helfen Sie mir. I got the dative, and he said, yeah. And so I asked him, wo is the Bibliothek? Where's the library? I was trying to use a free internet access is what I was trying to do. And he helped me because I used the dative. But I remember being in class, this couple going to synagogue every Friday night, but coming to compulsory chapel that we had at Centenary College, sitting back at the back, observing, Shortly before my graduation, he said to me after class one day, you Christians are a little strange to me. You talk about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit over and over here, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I see the big build up to Christmas. I see the big build up to Easter. 
I hear very little about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Today we're wearing red because this is Pentecost. Fifty days after Easter. A week of weeks plus one. Hence the Greek Pentecost, the 50th. On the 50th day, the Holy Spirit came anew. Fresh new winds from heaven. Fresh new indwelling power of God. And we must talk about this third part of the Trinity. Our understanding of how God has chosen to reveal himself to us. To do this, let's go back a few verses before what we read together. I think you need this verse for point number one. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. That's how it begins. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. So many people talk of the Holy Spirit as if it's going to do weird, strange things. When in fact, the Bible is very clear that the Spirit is the presence of the one who so loved the world that he sent his Son, Jesus, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Spirit of that one, of Jesus, who said the words read to us by Dr. Kroll a few minutes ago, I will go to my Father, I will pray to him, and he will send you the paraclete, it says in Greek, translated in the old King James as comforter, later counselor, advocate, your friend, your helper, your advisor, your leader, your guide. It is the spirit of our resurrected Christ. It is the spirit of God. Last Sunday afternoon, our clergy, our lay delegates went to Oklahoma City for annual conference. Now, we got through Thursday right at noon. Our bishop was giving us the final few words before we started driving all over Oklahoma to resume our positions of responsibility in this great state. And he told us a story. So I want to remind you of the story of an old hound dog in Tennessee. They named him Blue. Blue was getting along in age. It was a hot afternoon. He had curled up in the shade under the front porch, just dozing off when a rabbit jumped out from under the porch. And it stirred old Blue. He jumped up and started after that rabbit, this big bass voice of his sounding out one more time. All the younger dogs just fell in right behind him, yapping, yapping as they went. But in a matter of minutes, the young dogs had come back and curled up in the shade. You could still hear old Blue's voice. When one of these mountaineers said to the other, Why do you think all the young dogs came back and curled up in the shade and old Blue's still going? And he said, because Old Blue is the only one that saw the rabbit. Did you see God at Christmas time? Did you see God at Christmas time? Did you see God in those last few days of the life of Jesus? Did you see God the morning the stone was rolled away and Jesus was raised to new life? Did you see him? If you saw him, that's the reason you're still here, running, chasing, running and chasing, because we saw, we saw God. And if the spirit of that one who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, let's move on to number two. Then that spirit whispers to your spirit that you are a child of God. And as Jesus called him Abba, you too may call him Abba. 
Now, Abba is not Greek. It is not Hebrew. It's Aramaic. Aramaic was the language Jesus spoke every day. It's the language Peter and Andrew and James and John spoke every day. And Abba is a term of endearment and affection. Our translators almost always translate it Father because they're afraid if they use any other word, it'll seem trivial. They don't want to do that. But it really is that name you called your father when you felt closest to him. Dad? Daddy? Papa? Pop? What was it? That's the word. That's the word. And Jesus spoke to Almighty God with that word of endearment, of affection. The Spirit whispers to your spirit, you're my daughter, you're my son. And you can say, Abba, my father. One of the better reports at annual conference always is the one given by our circle of care. Every Advent season, every Lenten season, Sherry Goodwin and I remind you about our special Christmas and Easter offerings, and we ask you to be generous, and you always are. One of the beneficiaries of that offering, our circle of care, we have the ministries through the Francis Willard Home here in Tulsa. We have the children's home at Tahlequah. We have the boys' ranch at Gore, Oklahoma. So Don Batson and those who work with him were giving their report midweek. He had brought a number of these young people from our homes there to be a part of their report. Uh, they came in uh, singing with music. Don made his statistical report, and then one after the other of these young people held up a cardboard sign, each one a little different over his or her head, one at a time. One young girl held up a sign. Bad family. Felt unloved. And then she turned her sign around and it said, Feel loved, have family. One had held up drinking since 12, alcoholic, turned the sign sober more than three months. One held up a sign, no belief in God, no faith, turned the sign baptized Sunday two weeks ago. One had a sign, poor student, failing grades, turned the sign, honor student, last two semesters. This is what our homes do. They help girls and boys hear God's voice. You're my daughter. You're my son. I'm so glad you've come home to me. There are other sons and daughters of mine who will love you, care for you, maintain proper boundaries between adults and younger people, pray with you, counsel you, mentor you, tutor you, help you eat well, help you get medical care if you need it. They will be family to you because all of us say, Abba, my Father. Number three. You have not been given the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. I want you to hear this one because this one separates us from lots of churches in Tulsa, Oklahoma. There are preachers in our city, in our state, 
in our country who think the way to keep their people coming back week after week is to scare the thunder out of them every week. If it's not one enemy, it's another who's just about to take over the whole world. Right now, they're preaching about North Korea. North Korea is going to take over the world. The next week it may be back to Iran again. Iran's going to have nuclear weapons. The next week it may be, do you know that the Pakistani government can fall and they have nuclear weapons? And it goes on and on and on. Yesterday, Dr. Kroll had a wedding here early afternoon and I had one in late afternoon. I'd counseled the couple I was marrying uh, before Gail and I went on vacation, so it'd been probably seven, eight weeks. But I remembered what I'd told them, of course, when I saw them here yesterday. He was so handsome. She's so beautiful. I remembered our time together. And the last point I'd made to them was, wherever you end up living, and there was a question about that because he was working in another part of the state trying to get a job here close to Tulsa. And I said, if you should get to, to work and live in Tulsa, of course, I want you to be at Boston Avenue Church. But if not find you a church that preaches the gospel and the gospel means good news I don't want you to be in a church where the preacher beats up on you every Sunday if you come to Boston Avenue there will be times when we talk about sin the Bible talks about sin but it will never be the last point in the sermon ever it has never been the last point in any sermon I've ever preached. The last point should be God is in charge. Ultimately, it all belongs to him. God is going to work out the whole world according to his plan on his timetable. Now, in the meantime, you pouted three days this week. I want to help you do this better. You were a grouch. I know. Tuesday and Wednesday, you were a grouch. I'm going to help you do this better. God's going to whisper to you on the way to the parking lot, let me help you do this better. I want to help you do this better. The gospel of our Lord Jesus is good news. It's good news. God will help us do this better if we will call on him. I don't know how thoroughly you read your United Methodist reporter that Sherry sends you every week. There was an article recently about Dr. Robert Short. Uh, he is a minister who's written a book called The Gospel According to Dr. Seuss. Did you see that? I read the whole article because I remember Robert Short. I was envious of him 40 years ago. He had graduated from Perkins School of Theology down at Southern Methodist University in Dallas and had written a book called The Gospel According to Peanuts. And it sold a lot of copies. And when Gail and I were struggling to have something to eat at the end of the month, Robert Short had royalty checks just pouring in. You know. Well, after 40 years, he's written another book. And this one is The Gospel According to Dr. Seuss. He says that, in fact, this author has involved in his stories the gospel. He mentioned Horton hatches the egg. You remember that one? Horton is an elephant who sits on an egg, tending it. 
And he sits on that egg day after day after day. And everybody's sure he's absolutely lost his mind. That elephants are not supposed to sit on eggs, but Horton sits on the egg. And weeks and weeks and weeks pass, and finally the egg hatches, and it's an elephant bird. And Dr. Short says, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. They waited hundreds of years, and God finally birthed Mary's baby, and it was a God-man, man-God, very God, a very God, and very man, a very man. He says green eggs and ham is really about baptism. That's what he said. He said if you read that story very carefully, you discover that it's a really messy sort of story. Everybody's had some hurt or pain, and they all end up in the water. Bad things get washed away in baptism and dirty things are made clean and fresh again. The cat in the hat, he said, is really about Jesus. Oh, that's what he said. Yeah, it's, this magnificent hat is like a halo. If you take a good look, it's about kids who are confined because it's pouring down rain outside. They're miserable and suddenly the cat shows up with this wonderful hat of his. And his coming first causes even greater chaos. Then he goes away. But at the end he comes back and sets everything right. He finally sets everything right. You have not been given a spirit of slavery again to fear. You've heard good news. Do not let anybody deny you the good news. Number four. If a child, then an heir. An heir of God. A joint heir with Christ. All through Eastertide we talked about the promises of God. That those who are in faith and love get to go home one day and be with God and be with God this precious child we baptized a few minutes ago the middle name may be not so familiar to you Hillis do you know that name he was a very prominent attorney here in this city he was the great grandfather of this baby he's not with us anymore great grandmother's here Martha Hillis is not here a decorated World War II veteran who fought for his country came back and built a life here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Wonderful life. Here so faithfully, Martha singing in the choir week after week, Hillis out there in his pew supporting, being a part. But you see, our faith is that this precious baby named for him one day they all get to be together in the eternity of God. One day we we'll all get to be together in the eternity of God. Last week I was reading an article about Dr. Kelly Williams. Dr. Kelly Williams was minister for 36 years at Chapelwood United Methodist Church in Houston. When I first got out of the seminary, he was already pastor at Chapelwood. He retired when the Methodist Church told him he had to when he turned 70. He's been retired now 15 years. He's 85. 
And this article was celebrating the fact that Chapelwood Church is now 60 years old, he was not its first pastor, and that Kelly Williams is turning 85. They were interviewing him. Uh, Kelly grew up in Arkansas on a cotton farm. The Great Depression, he said, when he was a little boy, and he had to pick cotton. And how hot and how humid it was in Arkansas when it was cotton picking time. White folks and black folks picking cotton together, all of them so hot. White folks complaining, he said, and the black folks singing hymns. All of them picking cotton. World War II came along and he was drafted into that war. And his very best friend was shot and killed right next to him. There was no way to get this body back from the front lines at that point, and so they buried him and marked it. And Kelly said he'd been in church and Sunday school all his life, so it was just instinctive for him to drop down onto one knee and say, Oh, God, and then found that he couldn't finish his prayer. I couldn't, he said. I couldn't, with all this hurt and pain and suffering and death around me, and now my best friend, I, I couldn't say anything more. And I didn't pray for three years, he said. He got back home at the end of the war and went into law school. And then he met Sarah. He said Sarah forever changed his life. He said he thought she was the prettiest thing he'd ever seen. And after a few dates, he asked if she would go steady with him. She said on three conditions. Number one, no more drinking. Said he came home from war with a little alcohol problem. No more drinking. Number two, no more girls. And number three, that he'd go to church with her every Sunday morning. And Kelly said, Sarah led me back to the Lord. And when I got back to church and I heard the hymns and the prayers and the Sunday school lessons and the sermons, I started praying again. And God called me to be a Methodist preacher. Nobody was more surprised than Sarah, he said, when her lawyer suddenly became a Methodist preacher. And he went to seminary. Well, Kelly had a long and wonderful ministry. A few years ago, they had an eight-year-old grandson. Kelly and this eight-year-old grandson were out at a little farm they had an hour's drive out of Houston. And he and this little boy on a Saturday morning were killing fire ants. The little boy, eight years old, was driving a little all-terrain vehicle just looking for the fire ant mounds, and Kelly was coming along behind and treating them. And suddenly, as he was treating one of these mounds, he heard a strange whirring noise from this vehicle and wheeled around to see that the boy had, ran up, had run up onto a little anthill and had flipped over. There was not a mark on that child, but it had broken his neck. I was in a group, group, small group of preachers when Kelly was telling us this nearly 20 years ago and just sobbing into his hands. But in this interview, he said, well, I'm coming up on my 85th birthday. And Sarah, well, she's not quite as old, he said. Close. We've seen a lot of people die and we've seen others grow old. We've discovered that as people grow older, they either get more bitter or they get much better. I don't know how people make it without Jesus, he said. You can just always count on Jesus.